Welcome back to Beers and Careers, everybody. This is Mark Agustinelli, your host. And as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Today's guest is Laura Thompson. Uh, Laura is, uh, I, I said it on the podcast, she's a savage. Um, we don't really get into the one confusing part of the podcast I want to provide a little clarity on is we actually never say what Laura does today um, because the details of the work we just never got into. But she's involved in a few direct marketing organizations, one I believe that sells um, uh, natural health products, fitness style products uh, direct to consumer, and um, a clean wine company as well. So if you want more information on that, shoot me a message. I can get you the details. But overall, we had a kick-ass conversation. Um, she's an incredibly motivating and inspiring person, but also uh, but also has a lot of wisdom because of the, the role she's held in, in corporate America. So um, when you get it, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did and uh, love to get your feedback as always. Enjoy. Well, Laura, first off, cheers. Virtual cheers. cheers. Thank you. you. Welcome to Beers and Careers. Thank you. Or in our case, Wine and Careers. I guess right now. Mix it up. Um, So, Laura, I mean, well, for the the audience listening, uh, Laura and I met through the gym, and we live in the same town, our humble little town of Massachusetts here. And uh, I will admit, the first time... I think you were training for the CrossFit Games, but I think the first time I saw Laura, I I think I was going to the CrossFit at 5 a.m. and like you were either already there or there way longer than me. And I just remember being like, that woman is a savage and then, <laughs> like so impressive, just the discipline and dedication. And then got to know you, got to know your husband through the gym and um, connected on LinkedIn and saw more about your background. And I was like, I got to talk to her. She's got a story. I got to talk to her. She seems like such an interesting person. So um, as a sales professional, that's what I do. I just reach out, right? That's my... Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again for coming on. Um, Quick couple rapid fires that we ask everyone. Oh, okay. Have a little fun. Uh, What is your favorite drink or cocktail? It's a toss up between a wine, which is Sauvignon Blanc, and I love a spicy margarita. Mm-hmm. Like a jalapeno tequila type. Yeah, like yeah. don't cut out on the spice, make it good. Oh, we we are uh, we're in good company then. The Sauv Blanc, I I'm I'm hit or miss with, but I love the spicy tequila. You'll do the spicy margarita, okay? Um, how about do you have a favorite curse word? Are you in on that? Are you are you? Shit. Do you have but shit, it's like it's barely even a curse word because it just kind of like flows. But flows but up. I guess I can pick one. That might be yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, that counts. That counts. Do you have a favorite guilty pleasure? Does taking frozen chocolate bars and dipping them in chocolate right before you put your kids to bed count? Yes. Right yeah, before you put them to bed? Before, before they go to bed? Yeah. They, that's too funny. <laughs> it's good, man. That is too funny. Um, how, do, how do you get away with that without them seeing you real quick? I tell them the kitchen is closed. I say, go brush your teeth. And I stay down for one more second to close the kitchen. Wow, that's yeah. pretty good. I will yeah. admit, I um have been known to sneak a kick at or two while the I'm while I'm cleaning the dishes. Cleaning the dishes, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's too funny, though. Um, are you are you into quotes at all? Are you a quote person? Do you I do. Quotes? I actually really like quotes. Um, okay. There's a few that I like. One of my probably one of my favorites is 
um, a quote, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Mm. Yeah, I always try to keep that up on my wall. And good reminder that you control your own future always. Yeah, I'm writing that down. Um, it's so true. It's so true because it's also a good reminder and control what you can control. Exactly. Right, yeah, which definitely. I think is a uh, daunting for young professionals in particular. Mm-hmm. I think I think with everyone really. And la- lastly, first job. What was your first paying job? My first paying job. I was a, so I was a gymnast growing up. Okay tall I know you're like how are you gymnast but I was and so as much time as I could spend in the gym so I used to get paid to clean the gym with another friend clean the mats you know vacuum everything and no way that's what I got paid for and I actually loved it how how old do you think you were I was probably like I was young I was probably like 12 13 you know maybe even younger but the best part of the job was that I could walk to the convenience store from there so we would walk over, you know, I had like, I don't know, at the time, like three bucks you could buy a lot with. And I'd go, you know, you, I ate so much candy. So was, much candy. It was the highlight. You know, my parents weren't there and oh. gym and ate candy. That was the epitome of freedom at 12, by the way. Candy <laughs> from the convenience store without your parents. That was the, for me at least, that was the epitome of freedom. It was like, I can go by myself, not being monitored. So that's awesome. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Do you... Can you give people an overview of your career? Because I think what I found interesting is like when you pull up your LinkedIn page, which I just had up and I was bouncing back and forth, but it's um, unbossed leader, corporate dropout. It's like those are those are four powerful words that uh, I think catch people's attention. Yeah. So can you maybe give the shortened version of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So. I spent most of my career in human resources and HR. So right out of college, I joined the leadership development program in Boston at Gillette at the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to Columbus, Ohio with my current husband, boyfriend at the time. And the only thing we went to work at Abercrombie and Fetch out at their headquarters. Oh, no way. Amazing company, super fun to work for. I remember sitting on the phone talking to them saying, all I know is I don't want to stay in HR. And then I stayed in HR. <laughs> um, you could not find a more dramatically different culture, Gillette and Abercrombie and Fitz, especially at the time. Yeah. So, so anyway, I spent only about a year and a half there and came back to Boston because I have a younger brother that's 16 years younger than me. I have okay. one in between too, but I really missed being around Boston. Okay. Uh, so I came back and I joined EMC. I spent 16 years at EMC in all different capacities, and we can talk about them, but um, all predominantly in an HR capacity, supporting sales organizations, services, um, training, all different places within my career and had a really, really good run. Um, I most recently was the vice president of HR of a subsidiary that we had purchased called Virtue Stream. Okay. And so that was my corporate career. And um, they ended up, after 16 years, they moved my position to Texas. Okay. Wow. Oh, because of the, because of the Dell. Because Dell had purchased us. Mm. And it was really at that point that was one of those turning points in my life. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But I made a huge shift and decided at that point to step out of corporate and really, like, find something that was more in line with what I wanted. At the time, I had 
you know, I still do have three kids. They were younger then. Mm. And uh, I fell into the industry of direct selling and had no idea what I was getting into, but fell in love with what it was and realized it it really leveraged the pieces of my corporate life that I that I really, really liked, but also allowed me to be present in my kids life in a different way. And so that's still what I'm doing now. um, And I absolutely love it. So So that's the short version of me. So it's been like four ish years of direct selling. Yeah, three and a half, three and a half years. now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what. um, What. What was so attractive about direct selling when you when your position was eliminated? Like where where was there like a period? There must have been a period of angst. Like, what am I going to do? You know, I didn't have that. I was really fortunate that my company was paying me for a, a good amount of okay. time. Yeah. Right? So I had some breathing room. And the funny part about your question is absolutely nothing was appealing to me about it. Really? Nothing. Like I didn't leave corporate and say, I think I'm going to do that. As a matter of fact, the only reason I even listened is because a very good friend of mine, um, he is a VP of sales in Boston. He's also an incredible CrossFit athlete. He just said, hey, would you ever be interested in looking into this company that I'm also aligned with? And I was like, you are? Mm. Right? And so, quite frankly, I had the time. <laughs> so yeah. I said, sure. And so I went to learn more. And that's where I started. Everything in my inner voice was like, this is going to be X, Y, Z. I had all preconceived notions of what it was. And um, I found myself sitting there asking a million questions. Mm-hmm. And I started really digging into what this was and the leadership team and the growth and kind of all these things that I knew enough to ask about just with all my corporate background. And I walked out with this idea of what it could be, but still not knowing if that's how it really would be. Right. But I had a I had a good gut and then I just built on that gut and then it was experiential from there. And what I realized is you get to be who you want. And that's like I love, you know, the parts of my job in HR that I loved. I loved coaching sales leaders to be really great sales leaders. I love bringing in new talent and helping them be better. Like I loved the chase and pursuit of success. Like there's so many things that I loved. And I was like. I don't have to do it the way other people are doing it. I can do it the way I want to do it. Right. Wow. That's real. That is really interesting. I, uh, what were some of the preconceived notions about direct? I'm like, I'm kind of personally interested in direct selling, like as a sales professional. Yeah. I've been reached out to like, and I'm, I'm interested from your perspective. Like what were some of your preconceived notions? And then how did, uh, your actual experience break those? Notions? Um, I thought I had to have house parties all the time. <laughs> like longer burger basket parties. Yeah, no, I was gonna have longer burger baskets, right? I thought I was gonna probably have like inventory up in my house. Um, <laughs> honestly, I'd worked. I'll be honest, I worked really, really hard to establish my credibility as a professional, right? I went and got my master's degree. Like I did so much that I didn't want to take away from that. Mm. Uh, I wanted to like stay true to who I was as a female professional that had worked really damn hard to to achieve the success that I had. And so I guess what I've seen so much of and what's surrounded us in this industry are like people, you know, making their shakes or taking pictures and like kind of plastering their social media with things. And that just didn't feel authentic to me. Mm -hmm. I like to showcase what I do because I'm proud of it. But I didn't want to spend my life 
being a billboard for a product. So when I started to see that the way you really build something like this is using all those same skills, I was like, I have an opportunity to be a professional and show other professionals how to run this business or any business, right, alongside a really crazy career. And there's really ways to do it and there's ways to not do it. And so I guess what did I, I? I just thought I had to be something different. Yeah. You thought you had to be like the the brand ambassador, like that your whole life is almost going to be consumed by the product as opposed to it being part of your lifestyle. That That's why you're passionate about that's it. That's right. And, and I also have realized that what I love to talk about is business. So yeah. what I, my personal approach, I tend to sell business. Mm. I like to talk to business professionals about the power of multiple streams of income and right the business side of things. And yeah. so your product is super important, but it's not what I spend all day talking about. So I remember I went to my first big meeting in the industry and it was, I said to Matt, he came with me and I was like, what is this going to be like? Like I have no idea. Right. And when I got there, sat up in front and I watched the people that got on stage. Like I watched the people doing it and I was like, they could do anything they want in life. They were so impressive. And that was like a huge turning point to me. Right. Because they were choosing to do this. They were choosing yeah. to do this, but I was like, I could see by, by the type of person they were, they could have been doing anything. Right. Okay. And you, and, and I'm going to fill in the blanks there, but you kind of thought direct selling was maybe like a side hustle that people just wanted to give a shot or yeah. maybe something that they could give, you know, 50% of their time, make a little money and not yeah. really. Yeah. Okay. Because I, mean, I think those are fair. I'm not like sitting be. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it totally can be, but it, but it also can be something different. And so, no, I, I, I love to just work with people on what do you want? Some people only want, want that and that's okay too, but let's still learn how to do it in 15 minutes a day. If you're going to do that. A hundred percent. Do you wish you had started a side hustle quicker? Uh, yes. Really? I really do because I feel like building that, I call it like a platform in life. You know, if you had a platform to step onto at any point in your life, mm. wouldn't that be nice? Now you could say, Hey, I, n- I never want to actually step on that platform and I want to pay for my kids college. Like that's awesome. Right. Or you could say, I had no idea that my mom was going to be sick and I'd want to be there taking care of her. And so yeah. you, you just give yourself choice and flexibility you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. though. Yes, I wish I started earlier, but I don't know if someone approached me when I was at the prime of my career. Maybe I wouldn't have listened. You, th- you think life's going to continue as it is. Right. And it, nev- yet. and it never does. I Like, you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, too, because um, I feel like you're you're like. I graduated college in 08, mm-hmm. which is right before you got your MBA. So yeah. like I kind of like have a similar, we're not, we're probably in the same ish generation. We're close, right? We're like right, right there. And I, like, I wanted to ask you, do you regret getting your master's? I don't because my company paid for every dime of it. Okay. All right, cool. All right, cool. And I, the a reason I asked that question is, um, I don't think about it until I talk to people like you who have it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think about like asking about it and I, uh, I'm always curious, like, is that something I should kick the tires on? But then I've also felt like the biggest strides in my career have happened from action I've taken as opposed to like, and and I think getting your MBA is action. I don't want to take anything away from it, but just the way my career has gone, it hasn't been 
it hasn't been as attractive as I thought it would be. So I'm always interested to ask people. Yeah, I mean, my personal opinion on it is there's some fields that are super yes. helpful to have that. And then there's others where it's more about relationships. And so, yeah. yes, of course, it looks really pretty on paper and it rounds out someone's quick opinion on you. But, yeah, I didn't pay any money for it. I, I did it as quickly as I could while EMC paid for it. Mm-hmm. So I have no regrets, but would I have wanted to go into serious debt? And do I believe it would have had an ROI? Yes. Okay. Interesting. I, uh, I'd love to hear about your time at EMC too. I, I must admit my first real corporate kick in the mouth was at EMC. Oh, really? As an interviewer. I don't know. I think I, right after college, I played lacrosse in Australia for about a year and a half. But I think before I went to Australia, I think that winter break, I came home and interviewed at EMC. And I believe, I went to Severian in Westwood, the private high school. And I think the E and the M from EMC went to Severian. They may have. Egan's might have. I don't know. Maybe just Egan did. But either way, so there was always like this connection between the, the institution and EMC, and uh, and I remember going into my interview, uh, and I remember sitting there like with my suit on, and I am freaking nervous, right? I've got like my dad's portfolio that's like not who I am, but I'm like there, and and I'm in the thing, and I get to the interview, I like made it to the phone, so you get to the interview, and the person I'm interviewing with, I'll never remember his name, but it didn't matter. I learned one of the best lessons of my life that day. Uh, sat down, turned. Was like, yeah, tell me about your background. Turn and for the next half hour, talk to me while facing his computer. And I was like, man, that was weird. And then at the end, I was like trying to kind of, I was so kind of put off by like how it was happening. And like, it was so unexpected for me. And I, I think that weekend, because I was home for winter break, I remember running into my uncle who, who held quite a sales career at Unilever in New York, New York. And I was telling him about the thing and he goes, you totally blew it, man. Because that was a test. He wanted you to, he wanted you to be like, Hey, Mr. Manager, I've got something really, I know you're busy, but I've got something really worthwhile that I'd love for you to listen to. Do you mind if I just get 10 minutes of your undivided attention? And it just like, to me, I walked away from that being like, I, I, it, it's crazy that I can remember it with oh, such yeah. vividness because of what it did to my gut. But I also was like, to the whole point of your quote of like, it's when you create your future, like, Man, was I just a, I was a bag in the wind, just getting blown That's around. That's a little bit of the old school EMC arrogance, which has has died down. But that oh, I bet, I bet. That's it is epitome. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I never took it. I also never took it negatively. I took it as like, man, that was a really good learning experience. Like, what a good slap in the face! If you're gonna want to get into sales, you gotta you gotta get a little you gotta get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. That's so that's too funny. How was your experience being there for? You said 16 years. Yeah. Um, in serious roles, leadership roles. And then, I, like, I, I'm interested to know your general experience, but also what was it like, like, bouncing between, like, I'm doing HR for services and now for sales? Like, how is that, as someone who's yeah. only worked for smaller companies, like, that to me is, like, how how different is that? Like, what's that like? Yeah, I so my career overall was amazing at EMC. I really I loved the culture, I loved the people, and it shifted a lot yeah. uh, in my last year or two there. But I really just loved the people there. Mm. Um, and so 
Yeah, I supported all different organizations and you tend to find where your personality naturally fits. And for me, it was more in the services and sales area than it would have been, say, in engineering. Right. Like personality, I might have liked them. Like, slow it down a little bit. <laughs> like, Laura, calm down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love supporting the sales teams in particular because in an HR capacity, you can imagine that the sales, you know, DVP isn't always like, hey, come on, come be my business partner. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and so, to me, that was a little bit of the fun is, like, establishing my credibility to a point where I was seen as part of their team. Mm. And... um. And once I was, like, you became invaluable to them because sales leaders want to do the right thing. Yes. Right. And they want to they really want to maximize their team and the value and they want to be good leaders. So then it was really fun to me because uh, mm. I, I love sales. Right. Services wasn't too different because it's all customer facing. OK. Um, my favorite job. I had two favorite jobs there. One was supporting the inside sales team. It was just young talent that all is trying to develop and figure this out and is sales for me and how do I get to outside sales? Yes. Um, just amazing. Hungry. Tons of time on their hands. Yep. Lots of issues too, but it was really, really (laughs) fun. You got that many like 23 year olds, you know, but it was really fun. Um, and then the other was I ran a um, global training program out of Hopkinton, but people came from all over the world, like Asia, Europe, United States, Mexico, all over, and they all came and lived here for six to eight weeks to learn something. They they were just starting their career mm. in whatever it was. And so that to me was so fun because yes, I put together the curriculum and brought in people to teach it, but I got to create and my goal was to create this experience for these kids who are across the world. And build this sense of camaraderie, kind of like we did in college. Yes. That they yes. would take back to wherever and have each other's resources forever. Mm. Um, and so that was probably, <clears throat> I almost felt like I had my own company within a really big company. Wow, that's and cool. It that was a lot of fun. That was you, were just, you, you were accountable for the whole thing, soup to nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I had lots of resources to help me and a team and everything, but it was, um, it was fun. And then you your accountability was back to the business. Like when you're sending someone back home, like they need to be trained, developed, understand the culture, the leadership, who's who. I mean, I tried to just get them prepared to hit the ground running. And it was just it was really fun. It was very gratifying to me. Mm. And how I was going to ask you, like. How did that opportunity come about? Was that something that you built internally, like from the ideating standpoint or was it like, hey, we have well, this training? There was one program happening, a small program happening in pre-sales. And then the, um, you know, the senior vice president in services at the time said, I'd like to take that concept and grow it in services. And so we started with one role, two roles and three roles, and then we expanded right into consultants and everything. So I got to build and create most of it. Mm, Okay, very cool. Were there any opportunities along your career you regret passing on i'm not one of those people that looks back with a ton of regret yeah um, i think that's do you a, really regret passing on or regret taking either 
Regret passing on, no. Regret taking, I, I don't regret taking anything. I learned from one in particular, I really had a desire to move out of HR and into the business line. And I'd felt it like in my heart since I graduated college. I had this like voice in my head that was like, you're spending your whole life helping other people be so much better. Why don't you just go be it? <laughs> like, right? I had that. And so it was a unique opportunity to work for a McKinsey consultant, but who was now an EMC. And it was a, it was a analytical kind of consultant role. Okay. And what I learned is that my energy does not come from data and <laughs> analytics. Like I can do it. Yeah. I, like the days felt long, mm. long. And I was like average. You were, right? Yeah, you were grinding. So I just, I took it. I learned from it. I used those skills after that. I just was like, yeah, let's go back to like what grounds me. Mm. Uh, but I see, you know, the way I always look at careers, I like, I have this like vision in my head. I always look at it like you're on a train and you know where it's going. Like, you know what train you got on, but then you like, get to stops that you're like, that looks pretty cool. Right. So I'll get off and check this out. And right. Then I'll back on the train and start moving forward so that was one of those stops where I was like it's okay yes all right let's get back on <laughs> how did your how did your viewpoint on careers change from like your Abercrombie and Fitch days I guess technically Gillette was your first HR role but like let's just say early in your career to like maybe uh right towards the end of the corporate world at EMC Virtue Stream like how did you how would the counseling of a recent college grad or someone looking to make a career transition be different in 1999, 2000 vis-a-vis 2020? Like what, what for you were some big differences in that? I don't know. I don't know if there's a ton. I mean, in the way in which we find opportunity and communicate and all those things has shifted and changed. But at the core of it, you know, I think – the biggest thing is like being really honest with yourself about two things. One is what you're good at naturally because mm. everyone has their natural thing right. and figuring out what that is. Right. What, and if you don't know, it's asking other people what that is. What do you see that's so valuable in me? Um, and then I think also like, where do you get that sense of gratification? Because that gratification is what infuses your energy. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you can do things because they look awesome on paper. Like, yes. what a great status. That company looks amazing, you know, being part of this team. And that's great. But if you don't go home every day feeling awesome. Mm. And so, you know, when I look at like all the different career changes I've made, which has been a lot within those 16 years, like I probably changed jobs, I don't know, 12 times or something mm. at least. You know, I always said to myself, like, what are the what are the criteria that I really want in the job? Forget about like the title of the job and everything. What do I really want? And if it fell into that, then I was like, then I can't really go wrong. Yeah. So you almost made your ideal job description first, like your non-negotiable scorecard. Non then aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them didn't have to do with the job. Like the reason I never went into EMC sales wasn't because I didn't think I could do it. It wasn't because I didn't think I could make a lot of money doing it. It was because it wasn't in line with the lifestyle that I wanted. Mm. And that, to me, this is just Laura Thompson, but to me, that was a non-negotiable. Yes. I 
wanted to have a family and I didn't want to be out at client dinners every single night. Mm. So you have to just get super clear on like what it is you want. Yeah. Stay true to that and then look within that. And the other, the other thing I was, was a non-negotiable for me was actually who I was going to work for. Ah, Cause yeah. even if I didn't love the content of the job, I, if I loved the person I worked for, then I kind of loved the job. Right. It makes, makes the, uh, the magic happen, so to speak. Cause you're, you got a partner in crime. You're not alone. Yeah, totally. yeah you feel supported yeah. and everything else, right? Right. Well, it makes it a team and not a job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I like the non-negotiables thing, but you seem really self-aware though. Like, like I think there's like, like, I, on the spectrum of self-awareness, you seem like you're super high. Like you seem like someone who's doing a lot of reflecting and auditing yourself at various stages along the way. Like, is this how you're wired? Is this your parents? Like, where did you get that? Like, I think I'm wired that way a little bit, but it took me some self-reflection. Like I, the biggest thing for me, Mark, was that I constantly had this voice of like, I want to move out of HR, I want to move out of HR, but yet I wasn't unhappy. So I actually spent a lot of time like challenging that personally. Like, what is it? Why? Why? Like, what is it? And a lot of it came down to like the general perception of what is HR from the outside public. Like it was a status thing. It wasn't my real life thing. And so I just, I think once I got really clear on the fact that like, no, like I was going to go blaze my trail and love this and show what a real business partner was going to be. Mm-hmm. Once I got clear on that, the rest just all fell in place. And was place. Fine. So awesome. I don't know if it was always like that, but yes, I th- but I think it's really healthy to have. If you're not, we it, it's interesting because it's a theme that's come up a few times on the podcast, but we've never like really spent the time to unpack it, but like, it's like one thing to be self-aware and then it's another thing to like have your partner or your friends help you stay self-aware. Like, nah, dude, you're not actually that good at that. Right. Or, <laughs> or like, Hey, when you come out of those meetings, I have someone at our company that does this for me. He's like, you look like you went to war today and it's 10 AM. He's like, what were you doing? And I would be explaining, it's like, you suck at that. Don't do that. Right. Like you got to figure out how to delegate that and move that out of your career. So, and I consider myself a fairly reflective person, but I feel like you need that that network around you for unsolicited feedback along the way. Yeah, you do. People would be like, double check that, you know? I think the other thing that especially right now more than ever is because there's no work boundaries. Yes. Right? Yeah. Being clear, like especially for people who are married or have a family, like what's really important to you. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because Matt and I have been offered tons of different things in our life that we could or couldn't do. And we've made decisions on what's best for our family. And so, for example, when I left corporate, if I had decided to go back and work somewhere else, that came with more hours, more travel, less time at dinner, which puts more stress on him. And before you know it, now your marriage is also like stressed, contentious, your kids. Right. And then it's like over one decision, everything that was going well can unravel very quickly because of stress. And so we've tried to be careful about making decisions that weren't just for money because 
Money is one thing, but you can't undo your lifestyle, you know? Yes, yes. I, I was interested to know, like, I'm guessing, I don't know EMC, mm-hmm. and nowhere near the level you do, but I had to guess when the core uh, time in your job, you were cranking hours, and you were an uber productive person that was kind of tethered to this thing as it became yeah. more and more ubiquitous. Like, yeah. do you... How have you, like, how has the transition gone from, like, being in this world of being always connected, kind of uber accountable? I mean, not that you aren't always accountable, but then now you're like, you work for yourself. I'm direct selling. I get to go to the gym whenever I want to. I get to make sure I get to soccer practice or lacrosse practice. Like, I'm not, like, how how has that transition gone for you? I'm guessing, if I had to guess your 20 years of, um, Never mind the gymnast career, but the 20 years of like corporate America had certainly disciplined you to be like, you feel like angst or I call it Catholic guilt when I'm not working. Yeah, Catholic guilt. Yeah, there definitely. It took me a while to unwind, like longer than you think, <laughs> where you're like, you know, you're doing something and you're feeling guilty and you can't figure out how. And then you're like, oh, yes. wait, I don't have to feel that way. Yes. Because when I would go read in my kid's classroom, like. Yes, I was there and essentially present, but I was thinking about like, okay, are we almost done? Because I got to get back to the office. Right, I got an eleven thirty, and then I, I got, got to start at a lunch meeting. Right. Or you know, it's five o'clock on a Friday, and you'll pick up your phone, and in sales, that's like what you know, do you do? the end of the world. So it took me a while to do that, and actually, it can over rotate because then you're like, oh my god, I can go to the gym for like four hours. Like this right. is amazing. And so I went through all of that, and I also was tried to be gracious with myself about the fact that I did want a little bit more of a break. Yes, yes. And then you have to just create some structure to live within. Um, but I do still like very much appreciate the fact I can work anywhere. Mm. Um, and I, I do have my own timeline, but do you have a different like what's like a typical day like for you now? I don't really have a typical day. That's yeah, uh, kind of awesome. <laughs> I actually have shifted my workout time dramatically. It was five in the morning. Uh, now it's like eight thirty when the kids are on the bus. Yes, yeah, so that's a big change. That's why I don't see you anymore because I'm yeah, still exactly. on that early morning grind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also trying to work out like a normal person right now. Like yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I do like, there are just chunks in my day that I know I have to get in. Like, so I do try to work out in the morning because I find if I don't like it, it just is this thing on your to-do list. Right. Right. So I have some cadence, but I try to get the bulk of my work done in the middle of the day. And then there are some things I can do easily at night that are just not stressful at all that I'll just, you know, reach out to people, connect. A lot of my job is just connecting. Right. So it's, it's no. less stress. Yeah. Kind of not. Yeah. That's interesting. I, the reason why I was interested in the question too is the winding of corporate America. I very fortunate. I obviously love where I work, but, uh, I was able to go back to Australia in, in 2018 with my family for 23 days. And I like legitimately didn't work for 23 days. And I remember like day 15, 16, my wife being like, you're really not looking at your email. Like, this is like, you are actually relaxed. And I came home, was like super refreshed. And everyone, I remember everyone, everyone being like, how was your trip? And, you know, kangaroos and koalas and your kids. And it was like, great. And I remember like being in my car being like, I never really realized how wound up I was. Like, and how long, it, like you said, it. you were surprised how long it 
um, took you to unwind. And that really resonated. Like the, the subconscious of where you are as opposed to being yeah. present is wild. Is wild. And I don't think until you have like a deep experience. No, I think that's an area where no one can help you with the, uh, with your self actualization, self reflection. So that's yeah, my that's, sort of that's story. But absolutely so true. That's wild. So true. Do you yeah. have, do you, can you explain to me? And this is so ignorant. And I'm sure we're going to have people from our fellow CrossFit gym be like, Mark, you're an idiot. So you were, <laughs> were you training for the CrossFit games when I joined? No, I was training to qualify for the CrossFit Games. So, That's right. That's right. Um, the yeah. So there's for those of you listening who don't know CrossFit, there are three stages of qualifying for the Games. For anyone that's not, you know, 23, you go, you do the Open, and then if you're in the top 200 of your age division, you qualify for what they call the Master Qualifier. And then the top 200 do a competition and they get down at that point that I was really training. They take 10 in the world. Damn. So I finished 37th in the world in my age division, which I'm really, really proud of yeah, and in my expectations. So was I training for it? That's like the, the pinnacle of the goal. Did I, um, I knew that I didn't have the ability to qualify at that point. I mean, you, you think I sacrifice a lot because I was working out three, four hours a day. Doesn't even compare to some of the people and what they do. I did get into, since I've joined the gym, my whole viewpoint on CrossFit has changed dramatically because I'm 35 now. And so CrossFit for me was just like, I don't know. I just never wanted to touch it. It was just like, I, at first I was like you in direct selling. I had a yeah. lot of preconceived notions and I was yeah. like, I'm not effing doing that. And then something happened in my life where I was like, I got to get my life back together. This was really the only option in town for me that felt like I could give it a go. And I've been flabbergasted of what it actually is. It's really just a community of people. In my estimation, I just define it as a community of people that prioritize their health. And and like like that's basically what it is. And then it also become kind of a uh, family because you work out and sweat together but what i was interested to ask you about was i i, I knew you were training for yeah i didn't know exactly what for because i didn't know crossfit well enough but like how did that experience affect your personal and professional life because because they're all one right it's not there is like i do love I, I take or leave jack welch but i do love his uh his quote of uh there is no such thing as work-life balance there are just decisions and consequences like and mm -hmm. i think that for me has always Wrong true. So I'm interested just to know from your experience, like, how did that change the way you looked at things or affect your decision making? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. Um, you know, you, like you like you just said, there's only so many hours of the day. So how you choose yeah. to spend it is is your priorities. Right. Yes. So because that was really important to me, I was spending a considerable amount of time training, recovering everything mm -hmm. else. Right. And I was never going to not be with my family. So. Who sacrifices in that, right? It's really tended to be work and then a little bit of family time. Yes. But, but predominantly work, right? And so as I've let go of that a little bit, like I still love to train, but I train to be really fit right now yeah. instead of training to compete, which, which allows me more choice. And so I am rotating back to really building this business and spending more time with my team mm -hmm. and, and it just ebbs and flows, you know, yeah. and I'm I'm enjoying where I'm at right now. No, that's really that's really cool. Were there anything you learned about yourself in the in the 
I'd say the darkness of being just alone in a workout, tired and pushing. Cause you're, I mean, 37th in the world. That, I mean, that's yeah. legit. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> I realize that I'm pretty good at mindset, but not good enough. Um, the top, mm. top athletes, it is 100% about mindset. Like they visualize themselves being successful to a place where they can't see anything but success. Mm. It. It's all, all they can see and feel and taste and smell. And it's like it's so clear to them that when they show up on the floor to compete, it just happens. Mm. And so that was what I really was working on more than anything, because I always had this voice in my head. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not uh. good enough. Good enough. And that drove me to work hard. But that's not a productive voice when you're competing. Mm. Um, and so in, instead of a positive self-talk, it tends to like. Yeah. Beat yourself up. almost being humble hurt you there yeah 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 and I still like I say I have a coach that I hire he's in Puerto Rico but he programs me even now and I always will say ah I didn't do well like I know you were expecting xyz and he's like you have this fictitious standard of excellence that I don't know where it even comes from because it's not even a person but you always fall short of whatever this person has done and you're kind of right. I do. I make up this girl that's, and how amazing she is. Yes, that's. I, I, but I do. I think it's one of those things. To your point, like it's got a good side and a bad side. You wouldn't be as successful as you are today without it. Right. That's true. And maybe so. Maybe it keeps you from being in the top one percent of the top one percent. Right. But I think uh, that's not yeah. the worst thing to settle for. Yeah. It's not the worst thing to settle for. Did you? Why do you keep a coach now? Out of curiosity, with when you're not like. I mean, you're still training, but like, why, why keep the coach? I guess just yeah, out of curiosity. Um, it's just my own view. Um, yeah. I really like having someone that's really looking at my entire programming and what do I want to accomplish and be better on. And if I have an injury, we work around it or we train to be better. And it's just kind of really taking the macro view of yes. fitness and yes. it's really making it for me. Does he or she know about you dunking chocolate in chocolate? <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> I'm not currently tracking my food. So it's just not <laughs> all right, very, very. Right. He would probably be more concerned with the wine intake than the chocolate. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. What was that like? What was that like? You you definitely weren't ripping chocolate and drinking wine when you were training, were you? Um, I had a pretty good balance in life. I mean, oh. there's times where you rein it totally in, you yeah. know, but. You know, that was, we talked a little bit before about decisions and I always, um, I didn't sacrifice my entire life yes. for CrossFit. It was time, but I still like spent Friday nights drinking wine with my friends, okay. right? And all those things. Yeah. And I, I, I maintained a pretty normal life. Um, yes. and so that was a decision. And I also knew to be in that top one, 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 not even 1%. I was in the 1%, the top like 10 yeah. people. You've got to be willing to sacrifice absolutely everything. And I, I never was. I, I mean, I like to have a good time as much as anyone else. Did you find along your career? Cause it, because it's clearly, I, I, the reason why I also love this conversation, wanted to have on the podcast was the inspiration was nonlinear career paths, right? And like, yeah. your, I think yours is a perfect example of that. It's like, if you showed a, uh, classically college educated person right. who saw a career ladder, they'd be like, what, what ladder was this? What slide was this person on? Right? Like, it's so different, but did you ever find the, that like, 
and you've got young kids still, or you've got kids still that aren't in college, so you're still yeah. like clearly super yeah. involved. I've found in my own personal life, I I get to like a good homeostasis, and then things are harder. It's like more things get added on to balance, which creates more decision making. You still feel um you're in there in that vortex, so to speak, of like there are new decisions that you're constantly trying to incorporate, whether it be new friend groups, new things going on with work, new challenges your children are having. You know, like I think that is something that's new to me. It's like now my f- kids have friends and their friends have yeah. parents and it's yeah. like all these new people to hang out with, which I love and I love our town, but it's like, damn, there's only so much time in the day and I don't yeah. want to be like the psychopath that's like, you know, but I am. I have my planner of like what my day looks like. So I'm just interested from your personal view as someone who's you know, from my estimation, we haven't spent a million hours together, but the time we spent together, you've got your shit together, right? Like in, in like a, in a healthy way, right? Mm-hmm. Not like in the, my viewpoint, but from your own perspective. So like, but do you feel like you're constantly adding and still eliminating things yeah. all the time? I do. I'm always, always shifting and, you know, reevaluating where we're at and then just how you spend time changes. You know, mm-hmm. someone said to me, um, when my kids were really little and it felt so hard and it is hard. I'm not taking away. It is hard. Um, but she was just like, it won't get easier. It will just change. Ah. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm like packing bottles and food and the kids are crying and they're tantruming and they won't go to bed. And she's like, and now I see that my kids are in that next age group. And so now like my challenge as a parent, that the issues I'm dealing with are a little bit different, but now it's around, like I spend half my life driving to soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sitting at soccer practice. And so you just have to like keep shifting and make sure your third child actually gets to play a sport because, you know, the third child <laughs> and you run out of parents to help drive. Right. So, so it does. It always is shifting and changing. But it just kind of my husband and I have a great relationship and we just kind of are like, all right, how do we make it work? How do we how do, it work? Yeah. Do you think it would have been more challenging if you'd stayed in a corporate setting? I don't even know how I would have done it. I, that was kind of what I was interested to know was like, do you think you, what I mean, would you have given up? I know lots of amazing women. They're amazing mothers, right? So I know it can be done. The reality is you either hire help or you say no. Right. I couldn't, okay. She yeah. can't get to soccer practice for club soccer at 430 if I'm at. That's right. It's, it's, it's interesting. Do you, do you think from, um, I'm sure you're still very connected with executives at all sorts of companies, but certainly at EMC and, and others. What are you hearing about how the pandemic may affect that in the future? Do you think that, do you think that uh, if you had a crystal ball, do you think we've really um, awoken the sleeping giant that is work from home or is this a phase and we go back? I don't think we'll go back. I think that there'll be some connection. Like I, my vision for if you're just asking me my opinion yeah, would yeah. be that, um, they'll get to hoteling office space. So you'll go in, you'll rent an office or rent tables, or you'll go have workspace and teams will say, Hey, we'll go in on Tuesday, Thursdays mm-hmm. and, and do collaboration and work together. But predominantly people will work from home. Mm-hmm. I think the offices will become casual. Yes. I don't, I think it is too hard. We have just fast tracked the executives yeah. who couldn't get their head around this. Yes. Got their head around it because they had to. So now it's kind of like, okay, I guess it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I, I think if people try to go back to how it was completely, the talent will exit. I, I also think that executives are shocked at how well it's working. Right. Cause they Which thought they couldn't see you, you weren't working. 
Right. Which is definitely a different mind shift. And, uh, that's interesting. Do you, as an HR professional, what are your thoughts about, man, this is good. I should ask this question of everyone. Now I'm thinking to myself, what are your thoughts about how you're going to maintain and, and enrich culture virtually? That is, I think about that all the time. And when I okay. connect with people on LinkedIn, LinkedIn that are doing HR and corporate, I'm like, how are you maintaining that sense of culture? Because I think whatever was in existence, you can maintain from home a bit because you already had that relationship. Yeah. So you can Zoom, you could have a virtual glass of wine, like you could maintain what you had. But think about like two years from now, especially from your seat as a recruiter, right? Now you've got new talent entering from all angles and new, like how do they integrate and become part of a culture yes. when it's one conversation at a time, right? I was just saying to one of my friends, like we've got to help you continue to network and, and continue to expand that. And she's like, I don't even know how to do that anymore. Cause I can't just stop into someone's office. I can't just swing by and have coffee. Right. right? I mean, Everything's I, deliberate now. I, like I think about the stupid stuff. My boss, like, who was such a phenomenal, she still is a phenomenal influence in my life, like, basically helped me think about even how to propose to my wife. Because I was some idiot kid who was like, are girls going to like this? And she's right. like, yes, you. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, that is yep. gone. And then, so I think about that on the personal side. But then on the professional side, I am confident that I would have been a successful salesperson in many industries I don't know how fast I would have been successful alone at home banging calls and not having not hearing the people around me fail and succeed yes. and put that into my own database like how, like that to me I think is going to be one of the things that we're going to have to that to me is the number one thing I I've, I've got to figure out in my business cuz it's like you hire a new recruiter there's a lot of stuff new salesman there's a lot of stuff that you just through osmosis you learn Beyond the consciously are watching the fact that failure is what happens all the time. It's like, I mean, it's like, yes, there's that's not knows before a yes. And so when you hear it, you're like, okay, and you don't get this voice in your head that you suck. You're just like, yeah, I'm like everybody else. So let's go get it. <laughs> but when you're home right. alone, you're like, don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. And then, and then your brain starts to go. It's, 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 in, how did you do? I personally, how did you do when, uh, like this, our shared experience when CrossFit went virtual. Our, for those of you who don't know, our CrossFit gym, we've talked about it a bunch, CrossFit Resilience and Hoppington. What a phenomenal group of human beings that run that place and keep us all sane. Um, shout out to them, but the, they let us loan equipment during the pandemic and it was awesome and it kept me sane and I had a kettlebell and a barbell, but I never, I must admit, I think I attended one virtual workout. Like I lost the entire sense of community. It was like, a tool in my toolbox. Did you participate? Um, I did a little bit because Matt was doing it. Okay. That was one of the, like, I'm a little unique because I had my programming. Yes, you're lucky. Yeah. I just continued. And again, I was like, here's the seven things I have. So let's program. Um, and then I, but I feel my like this was the advantage of you being there for a long time is you had the community, you had the equipment. It's kind of like the same thing about the new recruiter. It's like the new person in town. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I have an iPad that I still have from college, you know, and they're like, yeah. trying to get it's going to be really interesting. I think to see how this kind of transpires because I think business travel, I think I still think business travel is going to exist. 
I don't I think, think, you're I think be it'll be more deliberate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And entertainment focused still. I think so. Cause I think I almost feel like if you're going to work from home, if you're coaching a sales organization, you're going to have everybody working from home, then you better like get everyone together to bring that energy back to your computer. So true. So true. You know, what's have you seen the app clubhouse? Oh yeah. Yeah. And like people can join the conversation. Yeah. I almost thought to myself, like, could I make a private group of all the salespeople and just have their mics going so you could hear everyone failing at the same time? That's a time. good idea. Um, but I'm trying to, but then that's like another thing to manage, right? It's like, it's, it's going to be, I'm hoping Microsoft Teams or whoever you use in your personal and professional come out with some kind of, uh, sexy product that makes us all connected. No kidding, right? I mean, right. one thing for sure is that I used to run my business on Zoom before Zoom was Zoom, right? Yeah. People would be like all the time, like, what's Zoom? Okay, I have to download this thing. Okay. And now it's made my business so easy because it's like everyone's like, yeah, okay, I got it. Agreed. I hated doing the podcast. The first couple podcasts we did in the pandemic on Microsoft Teams, I hated it. I was like, and it was just Mark being resistant to change. And now I'm like, this is awesome. It's not right. an imposition for Laura. She can just log on at four and it's like, we're going to spend an hour or so together. And it's not like, it's not like you would have, you would have drive to Marlboro. We're actually drinking red wine. I have much yeah. less red wine cause I'm here alone. Like, it's like, <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, this isn't that bad. But like that I still, I still do go to the office cause I'm kind of a creature of habit, like a couple days a week. And when I get there, I'm like, oh, I do kind of love this place. I do, you know, like it's like a, I don't, I'm not worried about the, the weird sound in my house and do I have to attend to the throwing another load of laundry? <laughs> it's going to be a given thing. kid crying. No, no, I don't hear it. Oh my God. And we've, and we've basically managed to get through this without any interruption from our I children, know. which is literally a, uh, a goal, a gold star. Do you, as we're starting to wrap it up here, would, what advice would you give folks, um, that you wish you had with all your wisdom now? Um, maybe for early in their career. I, it, I think it's particularly interesting from your perspective because you've coached people mm. like basically for the last 25 years. So, you know, in from a career standpoint, right? Without, there are people who are career coaches, but you are one and that wasn't your only title. So I think, you know, an interesting point of view. I, I not only did I want to document nonlinear career paths, I wanted to create a forum for people to like be able to listen and let ideas be instigated through this. So I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it. Kid. We oh, got we have our first visitor, here. Lucas. Thank goodness. It's okay. It's okay. Just like, she's going to give some advice. I'm here. Uh, um, you know what I think it is? I think be really clear on what you want your life to look like. What you want, because your career is super important, but it's a piece of life. It creates your life. And so I think, you know, I, I believe you can kind of manifest the life that you want, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, what do you want? And if you want your family and you want to have this and you want to have that, then, then you, then you become a little bit more clear in your career and what are the pieces of your career that you need to pay attention to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think like at the big picture level, it would be that. Um, and it would be to just, realize that life probably won't go as you expect it. So make sure you're always like broadening your skills and developing your network and thinking beyond today, because yes. today might look so different in five years and you can't even see that. 
But speaking from somebody whose life changed after 16 years, right? I was in every high potential program there is. Do you think any part of my brain was right. like, I bet tomorrow I'm going to walk into the office and not have my job? No. Right. right? And so just understanding that life can change. And so making sure you're building your skills and your network. So if it does, you're ready. I love, I, I'm just opening pirate booties for my three-year-old. But I'll be right down. I love your point about that because um, I, there's a sales trainer in Boston that I became um, enamored with early in my career. And his big thing was about how robots are going to take your job if you're an order taker and you don't add value. And like, he, there was certainly some hyperbole in it 10 years ago, but it is, it is the truth. And I've always, I translated that to what are the skills that I, that I monetize? Like, what are the skills in, um, in whatever my skill set is? How do I apply that to a marketplace where there's value and I can receive money? And if I keep that in top of my mind, my job can flow. We, there's another podcast we had, um, uh, with a guest. Her name was Nina Eigerman and he, and, and she, and she talked about, Nina talked about how it's one thing to follow your passion, but how, who's going to pay you for your passion? It's like, ah, I loved her dose of reality. And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like, yeah, you have a career, but like, what is the essence of what you like to do? And then what are the skill set that actually makes you money? And I think when you're thinking about those things in the context of the macro of like what I want my life to be like, it does add some direction and it becomes less. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about, but you don't, you also don't do it in one day. Yeah, so, you don't do it in one day. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. love the way you described that. Yeah. Well, Laura, I, I think that's an awesome way to end it. I really appreciate you coming on, taking some time out and uh, sharing some of your wisdom with the Beers and Careers audience. So, Of thank course, you. it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see you around town. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.